this book and thus our podcast is going to deal with things including sexual assault and uh, sexual harassment. And is there anything else that needs a, a warning on it? Environmental destruction, dead animals. Yeah, perhaps. It's just like, be, be aware that this is a, a heavy book mm-hmm. with a lot of misery from a, a lot of different angles. Uh, and so it's, it, it's not going to be appropriate for all audiences. Uh, it's definitely only going to be appropriate for adult audiences in terms of the, uh, the nature of the discussion we're going to be having. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, be pre- it's, not, it's not a comedy. Welcome back. We are still talking about ducks because this book is gigantic and we're not even ha- really halfway through it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a lot in the first half that we didn't touch on. So this is just kind of, perhaps it'll be just a continuance of the discussion rather than so. a strict yeah. first half, second half. I mean, um, just while we're sort of off topic at the moment, uh, Jam, did you get the print version or the digital version? Print version. Is there a digital version? I don't know. I got I the print version. I took the the dust jacket off, and it's got Ooh. this like oily printing. Yeah, on it's really it, which cool. Is cool. I've never seen that before. Yeah, oh, uh, the print edition is really nice. It's I worth it. Look, I didn't look under the dust jacket. Wow, that's cool. I was gonna say I like that the dust jacket is like it feels rough, like it feels like sandpaper, like or mm. tar paper, which I also was just felt like was an artistic choice and i think that's I mean, why i took the dust jacket off because it didn't uh, feel nice yeah. <laughs> and also just the fact that they got the yellow book cover and then the dust jacket's gray and they they complement each other really nice like it's mm. a beautiful it's a beautiful book i think if you're gonna yeah. own a print book this is a good one to buy in print i'd second that opinion it's it's worth i i knew it would be <laughs> which is why i sprung for the the print edition uh, but John and Quarterly makes really nice books just overall, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So John and Quarterly is a publisher out of Montreal. And they, they if you haven't, if you're not a comics nerd and you haven't heard of them, they mostly specialize in leaning towards independent works, I would say. Mm. But they're, uh, yeah, Canadian, CanCon, baby. Yeah. 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 There's not a lot of uh, Canadian comics publishers. Despite how many Canadian comic makers there are. Hopefully we'll get some more comic publishers soon. Anyways, this book is very Canadian, which like I also just I think appreciated, I guess, as a Canadian reading this, you're like, oh wow, this just really feels like Canada. I mean, not surprising that a Canadian cartoonist captures Yeah. And it feels Canadian in not a good way, too. Like, I was thinking oh, yeah. after reading this about Cape Breton and the oil sands, and I don't know, it really feels like this is the story of Canada in a way where we have this country that's like five corporations in a trench coat masquerading as a country yeah. where 
what you do is you you bring in settlers and migrant workers and you like put them out on stolen indigenous land and then they're there to extract all the resources and leave it a wasteland afterwards and then the corporations just like disappear and yeah. now you're living on a, the isthmus of a have not province where yeah. there's no fish and nothing to mine and like well that's your problem there's yeah. a really poignant scene where a cape bretoner or it, it, it i don't know the historical backing of this but there was a mine that closed and there was a town meeting uh, in Cape Breton where the workers are like, well, what are we going to do now? Like, who is going to take care of us? And, you know, the representative from the mine is like, I really empathize, but there's nothing I can do. See ya, you know? And uh, mm -hmm. there was also a really poignant scene where a Cape Bretoner from that generation, you know, really pushed back on Kate and her, her disdain of the oil sands, you know, it's like, well, you know, you weren't here through all these other busts. It's always been this way for us and it's it's always really traumatic <laughs> so no i'm gonna i'm gonna stay here until i inevitably have to leave yeah yeah and it's like really interesting the 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 setting of the book is sort of the near the beginning of the oil sands project and we reading this now we are certainly on the second half of the history of the oil sands i feel like where yeah. like how much longer is it going to be able to stay in business? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's the better in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I also, well, it's, I mean, it's so expensive to get it out of the ground and, and like the price of oil is going up, but so is the, the need for oil is going down. So I don't, I don't know. know. Going down. Yeah. What's that? I don't know if the need is going down. Maybe not yet. Fair. The need needs to go down. Yeah. <laughs> The yeah. need has yet to decline in the way it necessarily must. Oh, well, that's nice. <laughs> we are. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. I'm just going to quickly say I'm really glad that we actually have some October weather uh, for the end of October. Uh, we managed to get it in just at the end there. Kind of feeling bleak, uh, honestly. Like you'd think, oh, it's a sunny October day. Like, no, that's super upsetting that it's this hot. It shouldn't be this hot. Um, I was in the <laughs> I was in the pumpkin patch yesterday going to pick up a pumpkin and they had these fields of dahlia flowers which are normally their summer thing and the the person running the hayride was like yeah uh also because our summer is continuing to run so late you can enjoy all these dahlias that are still here somehow <laughs> and it's just fields of gorgeous blooming flowers and it looks like the peak of summer and i'm picking up a pumpkin right <laughs> you know it was very it was very surreal and poignant looking at those flowers yesterday the uh there's a, a pipeline the pipeline is being built through mm. my city and every time i drive past it i'm like huh there it is that's that's the pipeline that's yeah. the one that's connecting the oil sands to the world yeah yeah, so British Columbia's connection to the oil sand, other than many other connections, but the funding and all of this, but uh, there is a pipeline that's going to take the oil that's been refined in Alberta through our mountains and rivers and fields and <laughs> to the- a lot of time next to rivers or under rivers or over rivers. And go to the ports <laughs> where uh, that oil is then directly exported, which is another you know, very Canadian problem. Uh -huh. uh, you know, they have the same, the, the softwood lumber is kind of the exact same problem where we chop down our old growth forest 
ship it overseas or somewhere else where it gets value added, quote unquote, uh, turned into whatever, and then we buy it back. Yeah, because right. it's cheaper. It's cheaper to get the workers in another country to, to turn it into something useful. And, and so, so like, like it, everyone gets paid the least amount. You were you were so right in that this this culture of, you know, bringing the people who are the cheapest to do the work the most efficiently wherever you need them to go. It's a very Canadian story, you know. Yeah, that's what happens when you have a country founded by railroad tycoons. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I gonna, yeah, I mean, like, I, I feel like I'm cribbing off this. Um, you might be cribbing off this Candleland episode again, but it's like, yeah, I think just the history of Canada is just like all the cities are just like settlements that just were where resource extraction was happening, and the resource extraction was happening to a degree where enough people were hit a critical mass where they're like, I guess we'll make a city. I guess we need a government now. I guess we're a country. Like it's all an afterthought, right? It's the resource extraction was the primary concern. And then the city's like just a, a side effect of it, you know? Oh yeah. No, I mean, those, those same founding fathers, like a big part of their conversation about like, should Canada be more independent from Britain is like, how is this affecting our profits? being separate from the United States and controlled by somewhere overseas, we want to have local control so we can do something about tariffs. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's easy to lose sight of this when you're living in one of the largest cities, which, you know, Montreal started as like a fur trapping trading post, I think. Uh, and it's now grown over like hundreds of years that it's it's kind of lost that. But I, I've spent a lot of time driving around the province. One of my jobs was to go to many different of these facilities, uh, industrial facilities, and you're exactly right, but to an extreme degree. You know, you would drive to any any town in British Columbia, and you're like, okay, well, what is the resource extraction that created this town? <laughs> you know, yeah, it's yeah. either, you know, here's the pulp mill, here's a sawmill, here's uh, a mine, here's a smelter, you know? It's like, we happen to have a river here, and we could generate good power and also have the cold water. So we put an aluminum smelter here, you know, it's like, yeah, it's every town. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we have this uh, hyper like isolated temporary community in the oil sands, which like something that really stuck with me, this is like in page 142 and Kate's getting a lift from someone to the second camp. And the guy says, you be careful, young girl. You live here, they don't. Do you know how people treat a place they don't live? And I just feel like that really sums up the second camp and like just a lot of her experiences, a lot of the problems, the, the cultural problems we discussed in the first episode. It's just like, it's this temporary place. You're on the moon. You're just extracting the resources. You don't value this place. This isn't your forever home, right? You're I don't know. It's just like, I kind of feel like in a certain sense, it's like, you don't even have to worry about maintaining your reputation because you're just here for whatever, two, three years, and then you're gone. So whatever you do, whatever you do to other people, isn't even really going to like follow after you. Right. There definitely is a kind of what happens in Vegas mentality to it. Right. Yeah. The red, the, the phrases, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So you can be as horrible as you want, but you know, oh, that's that's when I was in Vegas. That's not really me. Yeah. Um, but perhaps because we didn't in the first episode, we should touch 
on the uncomfortable uh the notion of the sexual assault that happened to kate yeah i feel like we've been talking around it for a little bit now yeah Yeah, the the elephant in the room um i that that was when this work really took a turn for me because i don't know it's just like i think reading it i was like oh yeah like she's in the oil sands all these toxic masculine guys are hitting on her and she's dealing with all this crap and like you know, I kind of, ex- like, it was not surprising. It wasn't it was unexpected. Just, yeah, it wasn't unexpected. And there was this, like, undercurrent of, like, you know, there's, like, the other woman she works with that's, like, oh, like, who's going to be your boyfriend? Like, you have your pick of the litter. And, like, even there's this horrible moment where, like, this guy's trying to hit on her. And she, she goes to the other woman, like, oh, just tell her, tell him I'm busy. And then she's, like, oh, yeah, she's right here. And, like, she's, like, why didn't you back me up? And she's, like, well, like, why are you being so like shy you know you gotta hook up with someone you know like just completely not helping her and I I don't know I guess like I kind of had originally felt like it was gonna hit that level of just like some uncomfortable advances but then yeah there's the party and just the way it's paced out like I just saw it coming and I was like oh my god you know and then he closes the door and there's just that silent beat and then it's her in the hallway and again it's just like getting back to faces like she just shows this look the simple look on her face and you just know what's happened you know and it's so so upsetting um and I just didn't I didn't realize that this book was going to go there and I also I mean like I don't know I don't know Kate very well but you know I was sort of sitting on the sidelines while her live journal career was taking off and you know, I feel like this is stuff that was happening during that time period, you know, and it, you just think like, oh my God, like this is all, you know, happening under the surface, you know, and I don't know, I felt like as upsetting as this was, it really made me think about how I think in media, we really struggle with depictions of sexual assault because I feel like you watch movies and stuff or TV shows and it's always this really over the top, yeah sensationalized sensationalized, like people getting thrown over furniture and screaming and kicking and it's it's like there's no question that there's an assault happening and and it's it's this intense moment in the narrative and like you know I I think the thing that's most upsetting is like you read this and you're like it's so mundane and the mundanity you're like this is really the reality of it that this is really what most people are experiencing like it's this very quiet thing that most people didn't notice happened and like it's something you're embarrassed about that you don't want to share with people and you know um I mean yeah, and she even like later on she kind of like she does say at one point that that's that this was rape but then there's another point where she says oh it's all my fault it wasn't really like he didn't really mean it or something like that and it's like that sort of thought process going through her head I think is it's evident on the page where like, we don't see, we don't see it happen. Like afterwards, it's kind of like, I felt a little uncertain. Like, did this, did I see what I think I just saw? And, and then only later when she's like, when there's more context given to her, I realized, oh yeah, no, it was what it seemed to be. Yeah, this, this whole scene was uh, a total gut punch. And it was, it's horrible to know that this has happened to Kate. And mm. it makes me really sad. 
And the way, despite that, the way that she handled this cartooning wise, I thought was really deft. It was, it was really good. It was really well presented kind of, as you spoke to, it felt realistic in this, like, I want this to stop, but what am I going to do to stop it? You know, Kate speaks later on uh, in the text of the work itself about like, well, what was I supposed to do? Like run into the street, you know, like, again, you have this suite of, con uh, you know, options and consequences running yeah. through your head. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And this guy's not, he's going, he's leaving town the next day and she has to live there. Yeah. So it's, it's, really a horrible situation to have to live through. Uh, and I, I really thought it worked well for this book, the way that it was presented and then called back to several yeah. times throughout the rest of the book in many different lenses. So, I mean, JD, you mentioned the, the first, the self-doubt, and then, you know, she, she ends up confessing it to some of her guy friends who, you know, minimize it. And this kind of speaks back to that uh, culture of permission mm -hmm. that exists at the camps. It even, you know, it's like, even if you are in this situation and you try to, you know, stand up and speak out of what's happened, like you get stonewalled with your yeah. colleagues, with your bosses, with the yeah, These guys are supposed to be her friends. And like, yeah. I don't think she brings it up again for a while after that, because like, this is what happened the last time she brought it up. And then later she gets validated by some of her, uh, her friends were women and have also experienced this. And I thought it was really interesting that many of the experiences that they shared were actually outside the camp. Mm -hmm. It's like, same thing happened to me, you know, in university here or there, like, it's just yeah. the culture. Well, that mm -hmm. was, I mean, that was, I think the, that was like the, the, the double whammy, you know, it's like, she, I mean, well, I mean, actually, we're, we're not even, we're skipping over, like, so she has this, she gets sexually assaulted, and and then it's, like, not, I don't know, 10 pages later, she's at a house party, and this guy arranges for everyone else to leave the room, and she gets sexually assaulted a second time, and it's, and she shows more of that, and it's, like, she actually just starts, at one point, she starts laughing, and she's just, like, no, like, this already this just happened. Like this can't happen again. Like she's start just kind of lose, like she's sort of having an emotional breakdown. And this guy is just kind of like, I don't know, too in his own needs or too drunk or too on drugs to really pick up on anything. And he just, she gets, or doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't care, you know, like, and she gets assaulted a second time and it's like, she just assaulted like I think what within probably I don't know the timeline here but it just seems like within like a week or something she's been sexually assaulted twice you know maybe it was longer than that but it just seems like in probably very short months. short order right like yeah maybe a month or two and like yeah it's and then it's something she's sort of carrying with her for quite a while and it's like the big moment is where she tells her sister and then immediately, and again, for, it's like the third whammy. It's like then her sister is like, "Oh yeah, this happened to me too." And it's like, "Oh God!" It's just like I find that this is the thing that's the most upsetting. Oh, sorry. I mean, whatever. It's not about me, but like, just what I find super upsetting is just like when I start to realize that like almost every woman I know 
has some kind of point of relationship to this kind of stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, like, this is outrageous. Like, what is going on here? Like, can no woman just like live her life without being like assaulted or having to deal with like this? I don't know. It's, I have I, yet to meet one. Yeah, it's, oh God, it's just like, I think like for me reading this, it's like, I think the depth of the problem just like weighed down on me because like, as you say, it's not even the oil sands. It's like all these people outside of the oil sands are like, oh yeah, yeah, I've experienced this, you know, like, and it's like, you know, there's people I know that haven't been to the oil sands and they've had experiences and you're just like, God, like what is going on here? You know? Um, and I mean, it's, the other thing that's disturbing is like reading the afterward, like, Kate even says like, you know, the, I know the, one of the guys that assaulted me and he's married and he has kids. And I'm sure if you talk to him, he would not have considered what happened between us to have been a sexual assault. And it makes me think of like the, the whole kind of like Aziz Ansari incident where like, it's like, it's so fucked up that it's like, like both parties are just experienced. It's like Rashomon, like both parties are experiencing this completely different experience where like Kate's writing this story that I'm reading and it's almost bringing me to tears about her being assaulted. And then you think on the other side, this guy's like, oh, I went to this party. There was this chick and uh, like, you know, he's not thinking about it in anything. He might've even forgotten he even did it. Yeah. Whereas it profoundly changed Kate's life. Like the way that Kate's attitude is portrayed before and after. She goes through a period in the book where she's almost kind of out of it, losing time. Like there's a very distressing scene where, you know, it's like, oh, I saw you walking out here at 3 a.m. and she has blacked it out. You know, she no longer remembers that. Uh, And yeah, it changes her relationship to the camp. It changes her relationship to, you know, even her her sister, you know, like it's this shared trauma that they go through. And yet he's still like trying to justify reasons to stay because mm. like the money is good. She needs the money. She had this whole plan, like things getting in the way of the plan. That's not how it's supposed to go. Yeah. And it's interesting. So perhaps this can be like a little bit of a lighter segue. At some point she decides to leave shortly after, you know, relatively shortly after this experience of just like trauma, I think it, is it her sister who convinces her? Yeah. Yeah. Her sister having finally come to the camps herself. Uh, and is like, this is not like you, Kate, you need a break from this place. You need some time away from the moon. Uh, and so Kate decides to take a job in Victoria, uh, working for a museum. Which is like, I lived in Victoria for years and years and years. That was nice to have like a recognizable place that I know a lot about. Yeah. yeah. And I was going to say, like, I also just wanted to say, like, I can think of no better job for Kate Beaton. Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry. Aside from being an, an amazing cartoonist, second best job for Kate Beaton would be working at the Maritime History Museum in Victoria. <laughs> yeah, and you know, you you mentioned following her on in the live journal Jane, uh, days, Jeff. Like I also at the same time, yeah. uh, and I remember her her posting from Victoria, you know, yeah. and like mm-hmm. some of her experiences at the Maritime Museum, and it did seem like your time for sure <laughs> yeah I mean like well I mean it's funny because like I specifically have memories of like sending messages to Kate Beaton trying to court her to be part of a cloudscape anthology because and, she lived in Victoria yeah because she lived in Victoria and we we're so close so we didn't quite make it but like 
that was my point of connection with Kate Beaton, which now like, honestly, like in, in hindsight, reading this book, I'm like, oh God, I'm sure she didn't want some other man trying to get her attention for anything. Like, (laughs) (laughs) but it's, uh, it's really interesting that this period was included because I think it's from the perspective of the narrative and the arc of the whole book, it's another callback to this choice. You know, like you've graduated from university with a degree in history, an arts degree. And it's like this job in a museum, like you said, it like, it sounds like a perfect fit, a slam dunk for someone like Kate with a degree in history. But it's the, the reality of right. making that choice, you know, like even after having yeah. gone to this, the oil sands, coming back and like trying to make a different choice. She comes back to her apartment and she's got nothing. She can't afford anything. She has a mattress on the floor and like a light, I think. (laughs) And uh, even worse than her camp room. Yeah. And she isn't isn't just working at the Maritime Museum. She's working like retail jobs, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because she can't make enough money. They don't give her enough hours. She's not getting paid enough. She's got to pay rent in Victoria, which has never been cheap. Yeah, which I mean, if I can yeah maybe tangent this a little bit more like I think this is the section too that I just felt really spoke to like I feel like this work as a whole like we talked about it sort of just being relatable for millennials and it's just like I feel like this really encapsulates the kind of deeper theme of this work which is like it's just about the I don't know class struggle of being a in your 20s in the year 2000 like she can't make it work in the oil sands she goes to do her dream job she still isn't making enough money like like I related to this stuff of just like yeah you graduate school you're trying to make money you can't make money at one job you're working two three jobs like you know all your money's going into rent and going into paying off your bills and like I just think it's like it's I think that this chapter is important because it's it's not just an oil sands thing. It's like it's an everywhere thing. It's like it's it's a systemic problem that like like I was talking about this with my partner and it's like, you know, she made the observation that like it's fucked up that she could not make a living working at the Maritime Museum like that the Maritime Museum does not pay a high enough wage that's a problem in our society that like the only job that is like going to quote unquote pay the bills is to work in the oil sands. Like our priorities are wrong. If like, we cannot like prioritize allowing people to also work at maritime museums that we throw all our money into oil extraction. It's like, that's fucked up, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And one of the, the most poignant scenes in this section for me was a conversation Kate was having with her loan officer or something saying like, isn't there any way we can defer this any longer? I can't afford the interest payments on top of all of this. And the mm-hmm. loan officer drawing a very hard line, you know, saying, no, we're, the, the clock is ticking. You've got yeah. to pay back. <laughs> yeah. The, so the, the choice again, forces her back to the oil sands, it seems, or yeah. like she's left with again, few options. Yeah. yeah, I like there's a one before we leave Victoria, there's one another scene that I like. It's really short, but it seemed very sort of poignant where she's like she's not from Victoria. She's just living here temporarily. And someone says to her, oh, have you had high tea at the Empress Hotel yet? 
and she like laughs it off saying what am i the queen but then she like bikes past the empress hotel which is like this big fancy building a thing that tourists love to do as well as rich people who can afford to live in downtown victoria is like have high tea the empress yet treated like like royalty it's like very very upper class like very british it's 90 dollars a plate or at least it yeah. was prior to inflation <laughs> so she doesn't go in she like just looks at the hotel for a minute and then keeps on biking back to her empty apartment that has a fridge and a mattress yeah <laughs> yeah i mean like again it's like i mean i feel like Victoria Living's not too different than Vancouver Living, so this is very relatable content. Yeah, yeah, no, this this thing that is the thing you're supposed to do when you're in Victoria, like, no, not everyone gets to do that. Yeah, but it's nice that this is, uh, we've, we've spoken a number of times on how this is a very Canadian work, and it does go from coast to coast with yeah. the visit to Victoria, and uh, it, I find something we haven't mentioned yet is that there's these there are these introductory pages of every section where they have kind of a list of characters, like the mm. people that you encounter in this section of pages. And, you know, it has their name and their caricature, but also where they're from. And you kind of like browse through, it's like, you know, Newfoundland, 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 you know, Cape Breton, Cape Breton, Alberta, BC, you know? And it's like, it's really interesting. And I feel realistic the way that they cluster together. And there's also a scene later on where one of the Quebecois Oh no, it's, he's not Québécois, he's from New Brunswick. He's a French speaker from New Brunswick. But he passes along a recommendation for another one and they say like, oh, you know, another, the, this crew's full of Richelieu's or something, you know, like all <laughs> the French names. Right. Uh, but, you know, they cluster together and there's all these towns that feel like they're represented in the oil sands. So it brings even more of kind of like the, the entirety of Canada. Uh, into this work and I think it, it's someone from BC at the camps who mentioned you know it's like oh well if you're a hippie and you don't like it here you got to go to BC that's just kind of what it is you know and it's it's very true you know I'm a, I'm a <laughs> I, I grew up in Montreal and I moved to BC because it's like oh no this is this is where the hippie weirdos hang out so this is the place <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah though so we've got we're at capacity for hippie weirdos so um never Nope. Uh, <laughs> we can no. Nope. We need to. We need more. We need to clear out the rental stock, guys. It's too much Ten pressure. Sim, if Ken Sim is getting elected, we have not had enough hippie weirdos here. We can, we can have That's true. That's true. Fair point. Fair point. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I don't know. Victoria was like a nice. It was like a needed break, like because God, you like she gets assaulted twice and she's having all this PTSD and then she talks to her sister and there's that really powerful emotional scene and then she goes to Victoria and it's like this breath of fresh air and she's like oh god we're in Victoria now it's gonna be okay we're in Victoria and then I mean I, I don't know it's like I mean I guess honestly maybe I don't know, maybe it's because I'm from Vancouver but like the she's like sleeping on a mattress and like working two jobs and not able to get ahead I'm like yeah you know living being alive um and then she's like, this isn't working for me. I've got to move back to the oil sands. And it's like, no, don't. It's terrible there. Tough it out at the Maritime Museum. <laughs> Although once she gets back, she's not living in the same camp that she was yeah. before. And she's working uh, in an office. Yeah, and she's working in an office job. And it's like, seems a little more stable. It's a little more insulated, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, this is like, sorry, this is like probably a sad observation, but it's like, there's usually someone else in the room every time huh. you're working. <laughs> Makes a big difference. Yeah. <laughs> but even this I felt was really well portrayed. These kind of industrial offices are also kind of all the same where it looks clean when you render it as a cartoon, but there is kind of this layer of grime over everything that even if you're in an office, like you're, they're portables, right? So I feel like most people know what a portable is from school probably, but like a, a temporary building that's just kind of like rectangular in shape and very simple and just put out there. So there's just like one door between you and the site, the, the industrial site and everything just gets trapped in. Yeah. I forget which site it is that she's working at where she mentions that she's like coughing up Albion. like oh. garbage at the end of every day. Was it Albion? I can't remember. Yeah, but yeah, that was uh, oh. not great. This is like a quick side thing, but like at the beginning, the company she worked at was called Syncrude. And I just assumed that that was like changing the name of an oil company, but then later no. she references Suncor. I was like, oh, there is a company called Syncrude, which I'm like, God, can you just like not be more like what it says on the label? Like <laughs> Syncrude. I really appreciate that she actually uses all the proper names for things. Like, obviously, there's no consequences for her at this point. This is like her actual lived experience. They can't sue her over this. Well, uh, all, I don't know if you read in the afterward, but all the names basically were changed unless it was some specific characters. So yeah, so the, the people's names are different, but the the companies are the actual companies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I meant Tim like, Hortons is actual Tim Hortons. Yeah, yeah. Syncrude is actual Sim Syncrude. I just meant as far as like liability. I think if you're not naming names, like you can call it Suncor, the company. You just don't want to say like specifically Joe at Suncor. It's like sure. you name, then you can you're fine, right? Yeah, I mean, and as sympathetic as most of her portrayals of the other people in this story are, like, that seems, it seems reasonable. Like, you don't want to have other people, like, well, coming over and saying, hey, is this you? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure whoever, whatever his real name is, I'm sure Ryan doesn't want to be identified. Um, it's like the guy who basically, like, started doing too much cocaine and they had to just, like, pull him off the site yeah can't. although ironically he's one of the more sympathetically portrayed characters yeah maybe just because we spend so much more time with him mm. like uh, this this guy Hatchin, he's the one i'd like the least yeah i was gonna say i was about to say ha he doesn't have any redeeming qualities Hatchin was pretty terrible <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah the actually the like what was it there was the that weird, that weird thing where Hatim comes in and is like, did you block me on Google chat? And she's like, oh, I don't think I did. And then like after he leaves the room, she's like, oh yeah, I totally blocked him on Google chat because he was sending me inappropriate messages. And she has a transcript of the messages. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, oh my God, what the fuck? Again, this is one of those things where I'm like, Jesus Christ, like, is this what women have to deal with every day? Like, what is this? This is insane. Like, Oh my God, like men, stop it. Just knock it off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it kind of goes to, there's a, I think there's a comic about this, a meme or something that I saw online once where, you know, you have someone who experiences, like it was about microaggressions, right? 
And like someone experiences a microaggression, 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 microaggression. And then like there's that straw that breaks the camel back and they that person snaps at the other person. It's like, don't do that. And then they're like, God, such an overreaction. Why are you being like this? And it kind of, this does a good uh, job of kind of showing this, this microaggression kind of buildup. Mm. Uh, yeah. And yeah so, and how like, it- one, one, one minor thing. Right. If it seems like minor, it seems like not a big deal. If it was just a joke, you know, it's just like stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I mean, because it's just constant. It just like it's nonstop and it just piles up and it's it's just ongoing. And like, yeah, it's it's just nuts. And it like it has an effect on Kate and the other women there as much because they then become part of this culture. Like yeah. the, the very end of the book, um, like she's in uh, in Halifax and she runs into, I think this is the guy who assaulted her, isn't it? No, I think it's just some. Yeah, another guy. Just a guy, a guy from the oil sands. He does okay. run into the guy who assaulted her, but it was at a group photo towards the end. Okay, great. So uh, yeah, but so she talks this guy from the oil sands shows up and just like starts talking to uh is it kate and her sister yeah it's kate and becky yeah talking to kate and becky the way he talked to them before like the way he talks to them at the oil sands and like they have another friend there who's at the end is like uh what the hell was that why do you let him talk to you like that because this is not how people talk in halifax yeah but they at that point when they're like talking to someone from the oil sands they're all back in that culture and they're gonna let they're just gonna roll with it because this is what they've done every other time they've talked to this person. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's that's part of the really scary part about that is like a piece of that culture follows you home. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah. it sticks with you. And it colors the rest of your experiences. And so this this toxic right. culture of the oil sands but also well the oil sands in particular because it has such a coast-to-coast effect like it's it's following home to all of these other communities mm. yeah. yeah um i thought that was such a brilliant way to end the work is to finish with that little anecdote of like running into an oil sands worker on the streets of halifax and just you know like then having that outsider being like, what the hell guys, why did you just let that asshole talk to you that way? And then them kind of almost being like, I don't know why I let that happen, you know? Um, and it's- That was my survival strategy for two years. Yeah, I mean, yeah. again, it's like, it just gets into that that culture. It's like, you kind of get culturalized is like, like the frog in the boiling water, right? It's just like you, it's like each microaggression turns the temperature up and then suddenly it's like, you're in the boiling water and someone else is like, oh my God, why are you in that boiling water? You're like, oh, is it boiling? I didn't even, oh. (laughs) Yeah, and and again, this we've mentioned before that this is a really, really long book, but I think that's the benefit of it being so long is you can so so gradually turn up the temperature. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I I felt like as a man reading this, I felt like it gave me greater insights into the struggles of like being a woman. And I was just like, I don't know, it really made me kind of try to assess myself and be like, geez, like, are are there times in my life where I've been a problem for someone? And like, what can I do to try and like, not 
perpetuate these problems in the future? Like, how can I like address some of these cultural things when they come up, you know, like it's. Well, um, if it's not only what you yourself do, it's what you permit. Right. It's what you allow to happen around you. Right. If that's like, if there's one takeaway that I hope people <laughs> take <laughs> this work is that, well, okay, there's a number of takeaways that I hope people take, but one is that the culture lets this happen mm. and it's the letting that makes it worse. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And considering that most of the people in this story are not committing sexual assault, like what we get the most of is the letting. Yeah. the letting this culture perpetuate yeah where like the drugs you know like oh everyone's on drugs don't you know you know or like oh mm -hmm. yeah this happens to everyone this happened to me this happened to you or like mm -hmm. right. oh you know that yeah that happened at a party but you were drunk and so it's fine you know it's or like the, the work safety risk yep. where people are like taking all the doing all these dangerous things and like no one's really checking up on them no one takes the safety meetings very seriously it's like it's part of this this unsafe culture like someone's gonna get hurt yeah um and like they're gonna get hurt because everyone else is just kind of like oh well it's fine i fell asleep during the safety meeting too right right i mean it, and it also becomes a bit of a like i mean i don't know it, i feel like this is part of been part of 2020 too but it's like you kind of get this thing of just like well like i suffered so why shouldn't you like i i got cat called i got assaulted so why shouldn't that's part of you how you earn your stripes is just dealing yeah. with this garbage right and it's and like, that's well, a managerial response you know it's like you have to tighten up to get through that's the way you get through mm -hmm. right right and it's just like well what if we change things so that like nobody had to deal with this stuff and this is like oh god wow that's not possible we can't do that no no like mm -hmm everyone's got to suffer as much as I'm suffering. That's the solution. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is sort of like changing gears a little bit, but um, on what page 369, her coworker wrote an article about the oil sands. And then she's going through the comments that have been attached to her article. And I mean, I don't know if these are word for word transposed, but boy, Kate Beaton nails, uh, mid 2000s comment sections and like it's again i think it speaks a little bit to some of the the themes of this book where it's just like you know her friend is saying hey there's problems here in the oil sands and then you've got all these people like hey screw you this is like an economic benefit and you know oh well i worked at, i know people at the oil sands like my brother works there and he's a good person so therefore like there can't be a toxic culture of abuse because i know one person who's nice you know and it's it just really nails the i don't know it, it sort of nails the problems we're having in 2022 where like we can't agree on what reality is anymore because reality is whatever you feel like reality is but yeah i think some of the early seeds of that are sort of sown here in this in this comment section uh chapter or page or whatever you know um and again, it speaks to how, like, it also just sort of outlines the difficulties of the oil sands that, like, there's a huge amount of people who are, like, economically 
dependent on these oil sands. And so for someone to show up and say, hey, this is bad for the environment or, hey, this is bad for women or, hey, we're like stealing from indigenous peoples, all of which are true. But like, you know, I can understand also why because of the money that is tied up in this, that people are just like, hey, shut up. I don't want to think about that. No. Yeah. And no one wants to think that their workplace is like ruining the world. Like, how are you going to keep working there? You need that money. You need to send it home. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's supporting your entire family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, like, this is in a much smaller degree, but at the beginning of the first episode, I talked about my worst job and how I just felt like the company was doing harm. And it's like, I stuck it out for so long. Cause like, that's how I paid my bills, you know? And since quitting and not earning as much income, I, you know, there's times where I'm like, man, did I make the right choice? Cause my income sure isn't as good as it was, but Hey, at least I'm not working at a terrible company anymore. Like, yeah, and like that's a tough choice, you know? Similarly, like I'm same thing. And like last episode, I mentioned my worst job was this first school I worked at in Taiwan. And then I just quit. Uh, and I was lucky that I was able to do that because my passport is from Canada. I can go to Hong Kong and come back and get another job in Taiwan doing the same thing at a different school. Like if I was from Indonesia, I wouldn't be able to do that. I either work for the work person I'm working for or I go back home and that's it. Like. The, the, your circumstances limit your the personal choices you can make. And so I, I think that's one of the most powerful things of, of this book is that like, it's not just about your personal life choices. It's not about the decisions you make personally. Like there's this whole system in place that's created this situation we all have to deal with, whether it's the oil sands or toxic masculinity or, or whatever. Yeah, very true. Do you want to talk a little bit about the choice of title of ducks and how that relates? Because like I, I have a theory. I want to know if our, we have the same theory. Okay. Because I <laughs> I don't know. I just really sort of. I mean, I don't know if I'm hundred percent got this all thought through, but just like the ducks in the tailing pond is such a tiny piece of this giant story, but the title is ducks, right? And but it's like, to me, it's like the ducks are the collateral damage of this oil extraction. And they have a whole ongoing thing about the like stupid half measures the company takes to try and prevent more ducks from landing in tailing ponds. And it's sort of like this ineffective, they're putting up scarecrows and they're putting up bang, like devices that make banging sounds. And it's sort of like, representative of just like this overall problem of like the company's not really addressing the real problems and in a lot of ways the workers are also just ducks the workers are collateral damage to this yeah they're stuck in the oil sands being poisoned yeah they're migrants as well yeah yeah so the ducks migrate they look at this they think it's a safe place to land but they go and they're trapped they're stuck in Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. oh my gosh yeah and and the perfect connection too because this was the comic that kate beaton posted on live journal years and years ago that i don't know at least in my memory is the reference point for yeah her working in the oil sands and then is the title like as soon as i saw the title i knew instantly oh this is about kate beaton this is kate beaton's memoir about being in the oil sands yeah i didn't like i i don't know if i read Kate's live journal stuff 
religiously so i didn't i'd miss the original ducks comic but i know that recently that was kind of referenced as like oh yeah like this is sort of like taking like what was like a one-page comic and expanding it into this much broader work yeah but i mean the the original comic didn't really like nothing happened in that comic it was just because she wasn't there when the ducks got trapped she right. had it was a work site she had worked at previously so she didn't see it happen it was she just like mentioned in the comic there were ducks they got stuck in a tailings pond that was a place that i had worked at previously i work in the oil sands that's right. pretty much it i think yeah there's also another interesting layer to it which is kind of as i mentioned in the previous episode the issue with these ducks getting it was kind of a scandal with these mm-hmm. ducks getting caught in this tailings pond and they were all dead. And it was a scandal that first brought a broader awareness of the oil sands to Canadians. And mm-hmm. yet the measures that the company is taking, the public awareness, the public outcry over these ducks is so much more significant. Like contrast that to the comments on this post of someone who's like, hey, the people are also getting brutalized here. So in a way, like there's more attention on these ducks. Hmm. Not that the ducks are less important, but yeah. think that's an interesting nuance to be like what gets the attention and what gets the outcry and what prompts solutions. Yeah, no, for sure. And yeah, I think, yeah. So I, I, I just feel like, yeah, ultimately ducks was a great, great title that I think just really... I don't know, it just shows how much this work was really thought out very extensively all the way through, you know. Um, mm-hmm. This is like a real tour de force uh, as a comic. And yeah, just offers so many different perspectives. Like I, a tangent here, but just like, again, I appreciated that, I, I can't find my bookmark, but I appreciated that there was a, a, a short chapter where it was a bunch of people from the Maritimes sitting around the lunch table complaining about Alberta and how much Alberta sucks and how they miss Nova Scotia and they want to move back. And then one guy in the back corner is like from Alberta and he's just like, basically like, hey, screw you. Like, this is my home. Like, if you don't like it, move back. Like, you guys come out here and then you complain. Like, if you don't want to be here, don't be here. And I like, we've just outlined, I think a lot of the reasons why it's not that simple, but like, I appreciate that, you know, Kate even shows that, you know, like Alberta does have native born Albertans and they don't hate it in Alberta. They, they don't want to move away. Like, and I'm sure that there is like, I don't know. I've, I've felt that as a Vancouverite where like all the people move out here from Ontario and then they're just like, Oh, there's no thunderstorms. Oh, like, people aren't friendly enough uh, rains too much and i'm just like well i don't know go home i don't know like i this is vancouver i don't know what to tell you (laughs) that's also part of the experience of moving from one place to another though like both sides of that where like if you're the one doing the complaining this is how you sort of like build community in this new place you live is by noticing the things that are different yeah. So, I mean, those, those are both things that are going to happen whenever right. you have people right. moving yeah. from one place to another. Yeah, yeah. No, and I, yeah, I just, I appreciate the sort of, she gives that kind of perspective on both sides, you know? Like, I think, I feel like this whole work, it's like really trying to sort of be very empathetic and to sort of, I mean, it's interesting. Like, I feel like even with the men who assault her, I feel like she's really trying to just sort of, 
be like, here are the things that happened. And I'm, you, the reader can kind of make your judgments, but like, I don't feel like she's really trying to push you in any particular direction. She's just sort of presenting the, this is how I remember things happening. This is what happened. Like, if you don't like Hatim, that's because you don't like him based on the things I shared with you. But like, I don't feel like she's going out of her way to vilify Hatim, you know, like, or any other character, right? It's just like, it's just this sort of, just the facts presentation in a way. And I, and I feel like she goes out of her way to try to offer, like, again, it's like she could not share these little human moments with some of these men and just make them look like monsters. But she does include these little human moments to show that everyone's a little bit complicated. Everyone's, people have dimensions, people have different sides to them. And it's not to say that, like, it's not to give them a free pass, but it's just to be like, like, people contain depths, people contain depths and they have different facets and like maybe at the oil sand she's experiencing the worst facets of a lot of these people but like nobody's like a complete monster it's like people do monstrous things but they nobody wakes up in the morning is like i'm a monster i'm gonna go be a monster today you know it's like people are just doing what they think is okay and like how other people experience that i mean I don't know. So I, yeah, but if, well, if I don't know what I'm trying you, to say, but just like <laughs> if you're gonna deal with the problems that people cause or the problems that people face, you have to deal with people being people. Hmm. Yeah, and I just think that that's like just everyone in this book is a person, right? I don't think anybody's like a cartoon villain, right? Even the worst people in this story, like, are not being presented in a way that is unfair you know uh are we gonna do final thoughts or do we have any additional final thoughts yeah i'd like to move into final thoughts but uh to to introduce the final thoughts section even (laughs) though this discussion was or this work was very bleak and very heavy at times just want to kind of bring it back and let the listeners know that kate's circumstances have improved kate's now a new york times selling New York Times bestselling author, as we mentioned, Eisner winner, lived in New York and now lives on a farm in Cape Breton with her husband and two kids. So not to say like it all worked out, but like Kate's doing better. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And it's not because I think if you just close this book, you know, if you just close this chapter, it can be a little bit heavy to carry with you. So it's like Mm. Kate is still her own she's still a real person you know she's yeah and i think person. she's in a position where she's able to make this book yeah like that that speaks to how much time has passed since the events of this book and also like where she is in her life right now yeah and i'm so so glad she did i know mm-hmm. this work took years it's been very much anticipated in the comics community uh it was worth the wait it's very obvious how much effort went into it i think this book is a treasure uh, I said in the first episode, I think this book is history. I recommended this book to the podcast. I would recommend this work to anyone who wants to, like to any mature Canadian, I would recommend this work, but also anyone who wants to better understand the human toll of resource extraction around the world or the history of Canada. Yeah, no, it, it feels like, like a the very important history of Canada. Yeah. 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 Like, I feel like it's, 
like I'm not necessarily a big fan of uh, like having a canon of works that one should read, but if someone were to make such a canon about like Canadian literature or Canadian comics or uh, or whatever, I think this should be on that list for a long time to come because it's, it yeah, it, it feels like it's very much sort of, even though it's about like one person's experience in a very narrow frame of time in like one or a few, just a few different locations, it, it feels like it cuts to the heart of so many things. Yeah, I, um, I mentioned Paying the Land earlier and it's like, I actually was thinking, I feel like this is almost like a good companion piece to Paying the Land in that like, I feel like, Paying the Land was kind of more of a like, here's the nuts and bolts of the politics and like the colonial, like settler colonial indigenous relationships. And this is more just like the inner, what it's like to actually be a worker and what the like emotional toll is on an individual. Like the Paying the Land was the macro and this is like the micro of like the resource extraction in Canada. Do people have more shout outs? I don't have any more shout outs. Uh, I'm Jeff Allison. I'll just shout out Anne, an adaptation of Anne of Green Gables, sort of, by Kathleen Gross. Oh, just, when does that come out? It just came out. Like, All right. Awesome. It's yesterday? a really good book. I yeah. recommend it as well. <laughs> I, I'm going to pretend that that was also my shout out because I didn't have it prepared. <laughs> I'm happy to concede my shout out to that. <laughs> we have a rare triple shout out <laughs> hey you know former former trade waiter i think you got a triple shout out you know sure <laughs> the trade waiters is presented by cloudscape comics we'd like to thank sleuth for the music you can find us on soundcloud apple Podcasts, stitcher and google Podcasts. thanks so much for listening <laughs>